Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good to see you. You too. Here we another are. Another day. Another week. Another yeah. question. Another scorecard. Mm-hmm. One more another opportunity. Real personal finance. Got to help America be financially literate. Let's go. We are getting close. Absolutely. And to get closer, we got a question today. And mm-hmm. if you are tuning in for the first time, number one, welcome. We're happy you're here. Yes. Number two, we also have a YouTube page where it's the same content, but we have a new format where people who submit questions that we answer, they also fill out a little bit of what's called an element scorecard, where we can get some general information about income, debt levels, savings rate, net worth, et cetera, et cetera, to provide more context to the guidance that we are giving or to the education we're providing. So go to Real Personal Finance on YouTube if you've not done so already, same content, but with some visuals to go along with it. As I'm reading through this question, Scott is going to be pulling up this individual's scorecard so we can start to see exactly what the context is. Yeah. So you this also question get to see that James has a really nice five o'clock shadow that's way better looking than mine will ever be. And I also well, thank you. I've never heard that before. I always appreciate. Yeah. And just to be clear, if you're a listener who puts in for a question, you'll get to keep the financial monitoring software that we're using for some unspecified period of time that we have not yet determined. And we'll probably have some things coming up for you listeners who want to have that data available to yourself, but you don't want to answer a question or have a question on air. So with that, let's dive right in. Let's dive right in. Scott, do you mind sharing the element scorecard on the screen? This question comes from John and John says, I would like to do the more in-depth analysis you mentioned on the podcast. We are hoping to retire in the next five years at age 55 and 56. I'm eligible to begin receiving a pension after this year, but I plan to quote unquote double dip for the next four to five years. I have a question about 403B and 457 accounts, rollovers and distributions. And John then goes on just to ask questions about what does it look like to roll money from 403Bs to IRAs and what's the lockup and what does that all look like? So we're going to take a look at that. And what we also have is his scorecard. So you can see the percentage of John's income that he is saving. And John and his wife's income is about 270,000. They're saving about 30% of it. You can see here what they're spending. They're spending about 45% of it. Mm -hmm. And they have an investments about 1.3 to 1.4 million. If you exclude college funds, and if you exclude the pension that will come out as an annuity, and if you include, or if you exclude a home that is fully paid for. So that's the high level overview of their situation. And he's just looking for some general guidance of what to do with some of these things. Yep. Scott, where would you start? Well, first, I just want to start. If you're looking at the scorecard on the video, you're going to see there's no debt rate. And that is not a mistake. John and Rachel have paid off all of their debts. Go John and Rachel. Congratulations. That is huge. Now, one thing that we don't have here is their tax rate. We didn't get tax data. So John and Rachel, as you're listening to this, when you get a chance, go into your scorecard and put in 
your tax numbers for 2021. Now, the first four elements, savings rate, burn rate, debt rate, and tax rate should add up to about 100%. And I say about because some of them are backward-looking tax rate, some of them are forward-looking savings rate, debt payment for them obviously is zero, and usually debt rate's pretty static. Burn rate or living rate is pretty variable, right? Like most of us aren't really good at estimating exactly what we spend in a year because things, some things are variable and they change, you know, you, you entertain a little bit more or you go get more haircuts than you meant to. It happens to me all the time. James need, doesn't need a haircut. His hair looks good today. I Thank just you. got one. You can't, but I like to wear my hat instead. But point being, those four things add up to hundred percent. Once you know that you can look at what to do with them. Yep. Anything you want yeah. to add there? No, no. I think that's a great summary. And essentially where John and his wife are is they've saved well, they have healthy income. He will be receiving a pension. We don't know exactly how much that pension will be, but what we do know is his burn rate at 45% tells us that he needs right about $10,000 per month to live on, or at least he would like $10,000 per month to live on. So what he's in is he's in a situation where he's already, he and his wife are already saving 30% to mostly retirement accounts. Some of that savings is going to college stuff, which will pass. Mm-hmm. They already have a healthy savings rate. He is going to double dip, which means he's going to elect his pension while he's still working. Yes. So for the next four or five years, his healthy income will become even healthier. Yes. And he's going to have an option of what to do with, we don't know the exact extra amount that will come from his pension, but it's going to be a pretty decent amount. And so what do you do with this in context of what's happening with his scorecard? Yeah. And I would actually, so one of the things I'd think about there is like, if, when you start doing that double dip, he may want to look to increase savings to 403B and 457 and the 401k if it's possible, mm-hmm. right? Because our income, we're going to go for making, it's kind of like he's going to get paid not two times. He's probably not going to get a hundred percent pension, but it's probably going to be somewhere between 160% and 180% would be my guess. Yeah. We don't know his exact number of what his pension amount is going to be, but it's usually some percentage of your income. It's usually not 100% of your income. Yeah. And the fact that he's going to get that is pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Here's some of the things too, as you're talking about, do you increase how much is going to 457 or 403B, which for those of you listening, it's kind of the equivalent more or less to a 401k at work. There's some yeah. different provisions around 457s, but essentially the same. We can tell from his savings that a lot of their savings are going to Roth. 401ks or Roth 403bs. Now, we both love Roth accounts. We love the fact that that money grows tax-free. It compounds tax-free. It comes out tax-free. There's no required distributions. But John and Rachel, they're in a pretty high tax bracket, decently high, at least tax bracket today. And if you stack on another pension on top of that, they could very quickly get into the top brackets. Mm -hmm. So- one thing we might want to look at here is does it make sense to consider the pre-tax options of those savings, yep. drive down taxes for the next four or five years, yep. and then maybe consider Roth conversions or at least withdrawals at a lower tax rate than they'd likely be in for the next few years when they're in retirement. Agreed. I have nothing to add. It's so Great. smart. I never feel smarter than when you have nothing else to add. Done. The sage, Scott the Sage has nothing to add. <laughs> awesome. Well, right on. <laughs> Let's move on. I'm out. What, what about <laughs> this, Scott, is should they even be investing more at this point? Oh, man. I mean, the, the huge answer of it depends. We The thing we don't know, if we, if we knew what the solve was for their pensions once they turned on, 
And that would obviously tell us, do they need to save more? The point that you're making though, like, like, and the other thing just for listeners at home, it's not normal for you to get to what's called double dip, but in some professions where your skill set is very, is highly in demand and there's not enough people to backfill that position, there are instances where you're allowed to double dip. So they'll let you turn on the pension and you'll get your normal pay. You won't get discounted pay because you turned on your pension. And this is an instance where this can happen. And when that happens, I lean very quickly toward what James is saying of, well, let's, let's, util- let's optimize taxes. Like, let's not look through the rear view mirror and just go save all of the Roths right now. Like, let's look in the forward mirror and go, hold on a second. Like, what if we go save to the 403B and the 457 pre-tax right now instead, because it drives down our tax bill, because the tax bill is going to go way up, right? We're going to be in higher tax brackets because we're going to turn on that double dip, which is great. But if we turn on the double dip and we don't pay attention to taxes, we actually get to keep less of it each year, where right now we can choose to go, if we get in these higher brackets, like James is pointing out, we can choose to go save pre-tax. We can choose to say, I don't want to pay my taxes today. And then when you finally do, when John and Rachel finally retire, they could choose to have more, more options. What do they want to do with it? Do they want to do a Roth conversion now? Because now they're in a lower income bracket. I think that just makes a lot of sense. So that I would yeah. lean that way first. How about you, James? I agree. I look at it. Let's just use a very, very basic example. And I don't know exactly what his pension is, but he wants to live on 10000 per month. John and Rachel do. Let's assume his pension's five grand per month, and let's ignore taxes and some of those other details for a quick second. Yeah. Well, that means the remaining five thousand needs to come from their portfolio. Well, their portfolio, and, and by the way, I'm eliminating Social Security for Rachel here. John may or may not receive Social Security if this pension's what's called non-covered. Then he's not actually paying into Social Security. But set that aside for a second to be real conservative. Let's assume they want to live on ten. Five of that comes from. His pension, the other five mm-hmm. needs to come from their investments. Mm-hmm. Well, if they have about 1.3, 1.4 in investments today, the rate at which they're saving, assume some moderate growth rate on that for the next four, five, six years, very easily could have a couple million bucks in their investment account by the time that they retire. Yeah. For a $2 million portfolio to generate 5,000 per month, which is 60,000 per year, that's about a 3% withdrawal rate. Yeah. So a fairly conservative withdrawal rate is the way I look at that. And so why I start there is because now I look at this and say, okay, do you really need to save a whole lot more? Well, if you want retirement to look a lot better or to do a lot more than you're doing today, yeah, maybe you need to keep saving. Yeah. But they also mentioned in emails to us on top of this question, there's kids that are going through college There's stuff that's happening. Are these years where maybe you spend more to be with kids, to help kids, to, to just live more. And those would be the conversations that we want to have is what's the opportunity cost for putting money aside for the future in terms of what you can't do today. And what's the opportunity cost for spending those dollars today and not having more of them available in the future. But I think that knowing they're in a fairly healthy position, looking at their scorecard, looking at, they have no debt, they have healthy income, they'll have a pension. They've done a good job saving and investing. My first inclination isn't to say, go right ahead and start saving more as much as Let's explore what you want life to look like both today and the future. Oh, totally agree. I think where my head was going was if they just flip the Roths the tax side. for the next couple of years and they don't even change the amounts they're putting in necessarily, they'd actually be saving exactly. less technically to hit those maxes because they'd be putting in pre-tax dollars versus post-tax dollars, right? Yeah. 
but it would allow them to save in taxes in the next couple of years. And with the double dip, they should still have excess cash to ideally live into whatever life they want to live into. So I think they're probably in a good place. I, I agree with you. Yeah, anything else on that? Nothing there. I think we look at, again, on their scorecard, their liquidity. They have half of the year set aside in liquid yep. reserves. To us, their situation probably totally fine. You know, there's a pension coming in. There's income coming in. They don't need a huge amount there because they've got stability of income. Whereas if this was a different individual with a different profession, with different job security or stability, that might be insufficient. But understanding where they're coming from, I don't see any big issues with that. Agreed. And you know, that's where like the amount of liquidity that we you want to see with people, you know, normally, like if depending on the variability of your job, if you are a tenured professor and can basically never lose your job and you're at a solid institution that's not going out of business, you really need very little liquidity because you're always going to get paid. Yeah. If you're a salesman who <laughs> ebbs and flows with markets, you might want more liquidity. Right. Or yeah. if you're in a job that's harder to go get a new job, you might want more liquidity. So it's just dependent, but I, I would agree. It seems like they're in a pretty good place. Yeah, totally. What would you equity rate for them is 84%, meaning of their yeah. investments, 84% stock, 16% bond. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I just want to learn more. And I'd want to learn more because, like, basically, the way that John and, and Rachel put it down was the lump sum for the pension. And a lump sum basically just means if you've never had a pension before, Oftentimes you have this dollar amount accumulate. And then if you, some pensions will allow you to choose to take either the lump sum or you can take a cash flow amount for the rest of your life. And then you can either choose based on your life or your life and your spouse's life. And there's all this detail that we don't need to go into today, but that's basically how it works. That pension they put as a hundred percent fixed income and zero percent equity, but every other account that they have is a hundred percent equity. So yeah. it's all invested in the stock market. And I would just want to have a really good conversation, a really good understanding of what do you actually need from this portfolio? Because if you really do need cash flow from this portfolio sooner rather than later, you might want to think about being a little less aggressive with your allocation. What are your yeah. thoughts? I think the needs is what you have to start with. Hypothetically, if their pension covered 100% of their needs, you could afford to be aggressive. Because yeah. there's never going to become a situation where you have to pull money from that portfolio, which matters because in a year like this, if you're retired and all of your money's in stock and you have a definite need from that stock portfolio, yeah. you're having to sell stocks at a loss. You don't have time to recover from it. So when you're looking at this, this by the way, a little bit of a tangent is why too, I think when I'm looking at it, you're mix of stocks and bonds, it's not a matter of your age. It's a matter of your need. Like you could hypothetically be 80 years old and have no need from your portfolio. Right. That's what bonds and cash are doing for you is they give you some stability when markets are declining to say you still have money that you can access to live on even when times are rough. So absolutely. It, until we know, you know if, if pension or social security, your income covered everything, great. And if you're comfortable being in an all-stock portfolio and it's a diversified all-stock portfolio, which I know we talk about a lot, Hey, the more that's going to grow over time, just be comfortable knowing yeah. that the more your portfolio grows, the greater the dollar amount of those short-term losses are when we do have the volatility like we, we're going through now. Absolutely. But, a 50% drawdown on a $10 million portfolio feels differently than a 50% drawdown on a $10,000 portfolio. 
They yeah. both fall by half. The one falls by five grand and the other falls by five million. Yeah. It, which <laughs> feels different. You it know, just it's feels the same really number, different. but it feels yeah. very different. So yeah. as long as you're aware of that. Now, if you do have a need, if the pension doesn't cover everything and they do fully retire, we'd probably recommend having some in something more conservative to give almost like that emergency fund for your portfolio or that, that yeah. conservative bucket. That's going to be where you draw income from in times like this, when things aren't going so hot in the markets. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think those are the, those are the biggest things to me that I saw. Anything else for you? No, those are the biggest things. They did have questions about timing of 403B rollovers or the lockup. Oh, yeah. Let's or that. touch on that. Let's touch on that. Because that ultimately, you know, the kind of the underlying question, you know, John and Rachel kind of asked a follow-up question with a bit more clarity as to the question they were asking. So basically, when this double dip gets turned on, one of them has to leave employment for like 30 days to basically be reinstated and ha- turn on the pension and come back to work. Yeah. And they were basically asking like, hey, when that happens, should we take our money and roll it into IRA accounts and Roth IRA accounts, right? Because you can do that with a 457 and a 403B the same way you can with a 401k. But the, the way it works is if you do that, an IRA, you're not allowed to take a withdrawal until you're 59 and a half. But for a 403B and a 401k, you can withdraw funds when you're 55, once you leave service. And then yeah. 457s have an even different rule where once you're separated from service, you can take the funds prior to that reaching that age. So, so what are your thoughts there, James? It comes down to what are the options? I agree with you. If you got fine options and you can invest in a fine way there and you don't need those funds, maybe just leave them in for some time. Yeah. If you don't anticipate needing those funds, even if you do retire, well, maybe you do roll them over. If there's better options elsewhere, more flexibility elsewhere, it comes down to need. The nice rule with 401ks, et cetera, is you only have to be 55 as long as you work until 55 and then leave your employer or the year in which you turn 55, then that 10% early withdrawal penalty is eliminated. Right. That doesn't go away with IRAs until 59 and a half. So it comes down to when do you need the funds? Yeah. And the thing, what you're getting at with flexibility and cost of funds, just to be clear what we're saying to everyone at home, we would want to look at, if you were working with us, we'd go look at like, hey, John and Rachel, please go send us your plan summary document, your investment options, and let's see how expensive these things are. And like, if you're in a plan that's like an old remnant plan from like an old insurance carrier that's charging you 1% on investments, and you could go roll it over to an IRA account, or a Roth IRA account at like Vanguard or TD Ameritrade and buy, you know, inexpensive mutual funds or inexpensive exchange traded funds, meaning the expense ratios are a lot lower. So we're getting more bang for our buck. We would probably lean that direction in that instance. If on the other hand, your 403B and your 457 are already at Vanguard in Vanguard funds and your expense ratios are really low and you're not paying a lot to run this portfolio, well, then it might make sense for you just to keep them there so you retain the flexibility of being able to withdraw funds at an earlier age. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. Yeah. It all comes down to need. When do you need those funds? If you don't need them for some time, then the early withdrawal thing is kind of irrelevant. You're not going to be touching them anyways. So, And then a little aside or a little caveat is there's this rule Rachel and John called 72T and you actually just Google search 72T. And the idea is if you did put them in an IRA account or a Roth IRA account. Now for Roths, actually, so long as a Roth's been open for five years, which it wouldn't be at this point, but if you already have, do they already have Roth IRAs? I don't remember. Let me see. 
They already have Roth IRAs and you go put your money in Roth IRAs and it's already been there for five years. You can take out the contribution amounts with no tax penalty before 59 and a half. If you have not, then you still have that penalty to worry about. For IRA accounts though, you can turn on this thing called 72T. And what 72T basically says is it says, hey, I want to pretend like my IRA is an annuity. And there's these 72T calculators you can go look at online to see what's the max I could take out from this account. But here's the kicker. Once you turn it on, you have to take it out for a max of five years or until you turn 59 and a half, whichever is greater. So like there is a way for you to take money out of IRA accounts, but it's a little technical and complicated. And if you already have inexpensive options at a 403B and a 457 and a 401k, I personally would probably lean towards keeping it there and putting it in IRAs for potentially getting to do a 72T. What are your thoughts, James? Well, I agree. You, I think you accidentally said max of five years. It's a minimum of five years. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Just thanks, in case anyone's for, following along. Me. That's make sure that you... there's two of us and not one of us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I should have yeah. said minimum five years or 59 and a half, whichever comes first. Yeah. Awesome. That's all I have for them. I think that, you know, Same. John, Rachel, okay. congrats, paid off debt, built yeah. wealth. You have a fun, exciting new chapter in front of you. And it's all about what you want life to look like. And as you're double dipping and, and increasing income, do what's going to make life best, do what's going to yeah. increase quality of life most. And also just thank you for the work that you do. It's a, I, I think from the li- lines of things, it sounds like one of you is a teacher and I just want to know you, we appreciate you. Thank you for teaching the bright minds of this uh, nation and hopefully our, our little will teach you something. So you can be, you're already financially literate, but hopefully we helped you a little bit today. And please, anyone at home, if, if you like this show, if it's helped you in any way, if you've ever learned one thing that helped you, please share this on social, give it five-star reviews, like help spread the word because we want to make the US financially literate. And that only happens if you help spread the word. We do not advertise this at all. Yeah. Well, good word, Scott. Thank you. That's all I have. Yep. Unless you have anything else, that's it for this week. Nope. Have a great week, everybody. All right. We'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.